at a series through the book of Proverbs, Ancient Wisdom for Modern Times. Um, we have invited you to read a proverb a day. You know, Proverbs, if it's the first of the month, you read Proverbs once, so on and so forth. And we're getting towards the end of the month. But listen, I got good news for you. You can do it again, okay? So July 1st comes up, you can read Proverbs 1 again. And so I want to encourage you, if you're looking for a rhythm of reading Scripture, uh, contemplatively, reflectively, prayerfully, that might be a good way to continue that rhythm because Scripture truly is uh, bottomless. But uh, last week we heard about uh, the, the wisdom of our words. Today we're going to hear about the wisdom of receiving correction. Woohoo! Yes! Ah, oh, no, huh? The, the wisdom of receiving correction. And so we don't wake up in the morning saying, you know what, I just, I just want to be corrected today. No, we don't wake up that way. Uh, but we're going to see the wisdom of receiving correction today. And if we can get this message today, this message will impact our friendships, our marriages, our, uh, our church, our workplace, uh, across the board, the wisdom of receiving correction. So let's pray. Let's offer our time to God uh, that he would speak to us and change our lives with the power of the Spirit as we enter into this passage today. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for making all things new, taking our brokenness, our failures, our sin, and yet you have a way of making all things beautiful and new. And so, Lord, I pray that through the power of the Spirit, you would speak to us, you would change our hearts, we would, that we would walk in the way of Jesus and live in the way of wisdom. And so we offer this time to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said... Amen. It's safe to say that for many, if not most, if not all of us in this room, receiving correction is not something we do well. It's not something we do well. From the time we are small children to the day we die, we don't like to receive correction. But throughout the course of our lives, from season to season, from time to time, from experience to experience, we will all need to be corrected. And sometimes the corrections that we receive stay with us because of the way in which the correction was given. Sometimes someone gives a correction in a way that was not helpful, and as a result, the correction just sticks with you. I recall about 16, 17 years ago or so, I had joined this church, and they asked me to do kind of what Red did this morning, to get up and pray after the time of singing and to transition the service to the next part of the service, what have you. And I recall that day because I was dressed in a very similar way that I'm dressed today. I had my shirt not tucked in. I did the prayer. I led them into the heavenlies, the holies of holies. I'm praying, and I get off the stage, and one of the leaders, not even... 10 feet from the stage, looks at me and whispers into my ear and says, next time you're up there, tuck in your shirt. And I'm thinking, you know, tuck in your face, okay? I just, that's, that's what I'm thinking at the moment there. But I just led them to the holies of holies, you know? So I, I just prayed, God, whoa, whoa, whoa. and then, no, 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 tuck in your face, you know? And so at that moment, it left a bad taste in my, and I had a hard time receiving it because of how it was delivered. But the truth of the matter is this. We don't like correction 
not just because it's not given in a way that we like. The truth is we don't like correction generally speaking. We don't like to be corrected. And I thought about this yesterday. Uh, this came to me yesterday. Yesterday is our Sabbath, uh, Rosie and I and the kids, and we wanted to get out of the house at a decent time to do something. And, you know, getting children out of the house is a nightmare. And so I said, let's divide and conquer, okay? You take one, I'll take the other. And so I said, I'll take Karis, I'll brush her hair. <laughs> Seven-year-old, and, and Karis is looking at me like, why would you want to do that? You know, it's a... And so I said, no, sit down, I got this. You take the boy, I'll take the girl, and I started brushing her hair. And, and after two seconds, she's like, ah, ah, ah. Now stay there, ah, ah. You know, I just, I, I got this, don't worry about it. And so Rosie hears the ah, ah. And Rosie comes over and just very gently says, you know, you can stop hurting her if you like brush it this way. And she starts demonstrating it to me, very kind, and they didn't attack me, but I, I know this. And, but when she said that, something just happened inside of me, something happened. And I said, well, why don't you just brush your hair then? And I just walked off. <laughs> Went to the kitchen, felt God say, aren't you preaching a message on receiving correction tomorrow? So like conviction in the kitchen. I'm just conviction in the kitchen, conviction in the kitchen. I'm, I don't want to go back now because I know God just convicted me in the kitchen. You know, so I'm just like, oh, but the reality was whether the correction was given in a bad way like it was in that first example or in a very fine way, the last example, the reality is we don't like to receive correction. Because when we are corrected, something happens inside of us. Something comes to the surface. Our anxiety, our shame, our fear, our anger, whatever's inside of us begins to come to the surface. But what we're going to see today is our ability to receive correction is one of the biggest indicators of our wisdom or our foolishness. Our ability to receive correction is one of the biggest indicators of our wisdom or our foolishness. Said it this way, and I thought about it this past week, that our level of offendability often reveals the level of our maturity. Now, I don't know if offendability is a word, but you get what I'm saying. Our level of offendability often reveals the level of our maturity. When you get corrected or instructed or someone gives you advice or a mere suggestion that you can maybe do something a different way, how do you feel? How offended do you get? How angry are you in the moment? When we think about our, uh, the health of our relationships, if we don't get this right, people are walking around eggshells around us, no one's telling us the truth anymore because we are not people who can receive correction. And so a couple of weeks ago, we introduced this, this spectrum, this wise, foolish spectrum. And we said that you can really examine this spectrum here in two ways. You can look at it as the, the entirety of your life. Do you live a more wise life or do you live a life that's more prone to foolishness or we can see it with specific categories because the reality is we can be wise in one area but be a fool in another. 
We could be wise in the way you manage your money, but a fool in the way that you deal with your anger. You can be wise in how prudent you are. You think about the future and you plan accordingly, but you can be a fool in another area of your life. And so as we think about receiving correction today, where would you put yourself on the spectrum? And that's really the question that we need to examine as we are looking through this text today. Mockers and fools do not receive correction. They steadfastly, if you look at the book of Proverbs, refuse to change their ways, refuse to hear any kind of correction, so much so that the Bible says when you're in the presence of these kind of mockers, stop giving them advice. Stop stop advising them. Stop correcting them because they're going to do their own thing anyway. And you're just wasting your time. So the proverb says the mockers and the fools are those that resolutely refuse to change their ways, but the wise are different. The wise are different. And so God is calling us to be wise. He's calling us to be approachable. He's calling us to be teachable. He's calling us to be humble. He's calling us to set aside our pride and live in the way of wisdom. And so Proverbs 15:32, this is our the scripture for our time today. Proverbs 15:32, hear the word of the Lord. This is the voice translation, one of my favorite translations here. It says, "Those who disregard discipline sabotage themselves. But those who are open to correction gain understanding. Let's all, let's all read this out loud together. Let's get this in the deepest part of our being. Let's read this together. Those who disregard discipline sabotage themselves, but those who are open to correction gain understanding. The book of Proverbs is a way that God gives us so that we would flourish, thinking uh, tools and and, and principles and wisdom so that we would live a life that flourishes, that our relationships would flourish, that we would honor God and love people in the way that God has called us to. And one of the consistent themes throughout the book of Proverbs is the difference between how the wise and how the foolish receive correction. And so throughout the Proverbs, this is a running theme. Proverbs ten seventeen says, people who listen when they are corrected will live. But those who will not admit that they are wrong are in danger. Proverbs 12, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. That's in the Bible. I just said, well, that's <laughs> Proverbs 13, whoever disregards discipline comes to poverty and shame, but whoever heeds correction is honored. Throughout the course of the book of Proverbs, over and over again, there is this distinction, this delineation between how the wise receive correction and how the fools receive correction. But I want to focus on Proverbs 15.32 because it gives strong language that we need to hear. Now remember, the Proverbs are like God pleading with us. God is pleading with us as a father pleads with his son, basically saying, do not choose the way of foolishness. The way of foolishness leads to destruction. Choose the way of wisdom. The way of wisdom leads to life. That's the book of Proverbs in a nutshell. God pleading with his people to choose the way of wisdom and not choose the way of foolishness. 
And so to create the sense of urgency about this particular theme, God's word to us is when we refuse correction, whether that correction comes directly from God through the spirit in your own times of isolation, or whether that correction comes through God from someone, when we don't receive it, we sabotage ourselves. Now for the last couple of weeks, we've mentioned that the cost of foolishness is not a drop in one's quality of life. The cost of foolishness is death. In the same way that life and death is in the power of the tongue, life and death is in our ability to receive correction. And so the, the proverb says to resist correction is to sabotage our lives. And sabotage means to the act of destroying or damaging something deliberately so that it does not work correctly. Now, when you think about that, many of us in this room would say, I'd never do that to myself. I'd never sabotage myself like that. And when we think about sabotage, we think about crazy and wild sins. We see someone doing drugs and we say, be careful, you're going to sabotage your life. We see someone uh, prone to excessive gambling, so you're going to sabotage your life. You see someone going from one relationship to another, you say, you're going to sabotage your life. And of course, that might be true. But the reality is, that same language is used for people who refuse to receive correction. Sooner or later, we will be sabotaged by our inability to receive correction. And so it bears repeating that a couple of weeks ago I said that there is divine pain and there's dumb pain. Divine pain is pain that God uh, allows us to go through because God is trying to shape character in us. John 15, he prunes us, he cuts us back, not so that we can have a bad day, but so that more fruits can be produced. That's divine pain. And if, we did a, if God had a spreadsheet for us when we see him face to face, the question is, how much divine pain did you go through and how much dumb pain did you go through? And the reality is most of us, there's a lot of dumb pain that we go through. God said, I didn't have that for you. That was you. And so, and so when we refuse to receive correction, we ultimately go down the route of dumb pain. And so at the core of the Proverbs here, as, uh, uh, this passage here, is a recognition that all of us in this room, that we have blind spots. All of us have blind spots in this room. A blind spot is a flaw, a fault, a failing, an inconsistency that you can't see yourself. And all of us have them. All of us have a flaw, a fault, a failing, an inconsistency that we can't see ourselves. And so what we need are people to lovingly help us see our blind spots. But whether we receive it or not is dependent, uh, whether we sabotage our lives is dependent on whether we, we receive it or not. And so the wise receive correction, fools refuse it. And there are many ways that this is played out in our world. Take a couple of examples. Take money, for example. You see a friend or a family member buying things and putting it on their credit card. 
You know that credit card has 25, 30% interest. You're concerned about your family member. You're concerned about your friend. You know they're going down a very dangerous road. And so you make an observation lovingly, which we'll talk about in a moment, lovingly about their spending habits. The fool responds in this way. You focus on your money. I'll focus on my money. That's how the fool responds. The wise says, help me understand more. What might be a better way? Take relationships, for example. You know someone who's in a serious relationship. They've been divorced five or six times. You recommend they get premarital counseling. They go through extended time of counseling. The fool says, I got it. I got experience. Evidently, you do. You know, you do. The wise say, thank you. Could you help me find someone that might suit our circumstance? Take work, for example. Your boss gives you the annual evaluation, the dreaded annual evaluation. The boss says, you did this good, you did this good, you did this good, but here are four or five areas that we'd like you to, to work on. And as you're hearing this, something is rising to the surface. You, you shut the door, you go to your coworker, I quit. This, I'm out of this. That's the fool. The fool says, I quit. I'm out of here. But the friend says, but you only have one or two weeks savings. God will provide. Uh-uh. You're a fool. <laughs> Don't dress it up with Christian language, okay? You're a Christian fool. That's what you are. <laughs> the wise listen and try to improve. The list goes on and on and on. And so the question is, at the core, why don't we like to be corrected? Why don't we like to receive correction? And as I thought about this this past week and paying attention to my own uh, issues with receiving correction, what have you, uh, I thought really the answer is, the reason is two, twofold. We don't like correction often because people don't know how to give it. It's not, you know, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And some people just don't know how to say it. And so when you hear correction from someone, especially if it's not in a way that's gentle and loving, we don't, we don't want to receive it. But truth be told, many of us don't like correction because we just don't like to be told to make adjustments. When Rosie and I were two years married, we, we took a small group with Pete and Jerry, and they led us in a skill uh, emotionally healthy skill called climb the ladder of integrity. If you've been at New Life, you've heard about this. It's really about articulating a value that has uh, not been uh, adhered to by someone else. And so they said, why don't you pick a, a small issue that you can practice this skill with? So Rosie and I are sitting down. We're talking about Rosie's going first. She's going to talk about a particular value that she feels has been violated. And so I'm sitting down with her. Jerry is right coaching us, right next to us. We're going just very deliberately, very calmly. We're going through it. The issue at hand was Rosie was, uh, her value of a clean bathroom was violated every time I shaved. Okay? You got, you got the, so you got the story. So I shave, I clean up, but I don't clean up as good as I need to clean up. 
Rosie values a clean sink area, no lingering stuff from my face. And so she has a conversation. You know, I value a, a clean area, and when you do this, this is how I feel. And, my, and as she's doing it, like, something is rising inside of me. I'm sitting down. Oh, tell me more. You know, I'm just sitting down. <laughs> but on the inside, it's, I mean, this stuff is coming. It's coming. I, I want to defend myself at the moment. I'm ready to defend myself. Can I talk yet, Jerry? No, you can't talk yet. Oh, okay, I'll wait. And I'm thinking, I said, wait, wait till I bring up my issue. We're going we're gonna, to we're see what's up. I got something to say, too. But as I thought about it, listen, the correction came very kindly. No attitude, no condescension. It came very kindly. The question is, why was it hard? And why is it hard? And as I gave it thought, the reason why we don't like to receive correction is because to be corrected exposes our weakness. To be corrected exposes our gaps. To be corrected exposes our lack of maturity. This can be hard to receive. And so what begins to happen is when we're corrected, our very identity is called into question. So pride comes. Shame comes. And we have a hard time receiving uh, any kind of correction because we have built a false self based on knowing everything, based on getting everything right. And so when someone corrects us, gives a suggestion, a word of rebuke, or whatever it is, the false self that we have constructed is called in, into question. And our, the question is, where is your identity? That's the question that comes to the surface when you are corrected. And so if you have a hard time receiving correction, we desperately need to grasp the good news of the gospel. Desperately need to grasp it. And, and as I mentioned last week, the gospel can be summarized in four words. The gospel is this, Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the gospel. And until we grasp the essence of that, we will not receive correction well. Because to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord is to simultaneously confess we are not. And so this confession is to free us to admit our shortcomings. This confession is to free us to, to, to live a broken life instead of posturing as if we have it all together. This confession is to free us from living our true identity in Christ and not some false self that we have projected and protected over the course of the years. Jesus Christ is Lord and you are not. Jesus Christ is Lord, and I am not. And the sooner we can confess that, and the sooner we can really believe that, the sooner we can live human lives in the way that God has called us to. Jesus Christ is Lord. When, you, when I know someone has grasped this reality and this truth, that Jesus Christ is Lord, when you live less offendable, when you're soft, malleable, Teachable. I know someone has really grasped this, and, and, and there's a disconnect many times with our theology and the way we live. If I ask all of us, if I did a survey here to all of us, do you believe Jesus Christ is Lord? Absolutely. Without question, 
But then we get corrected or something happens and, alt- and we get offended and angry and we realize, no, I think I'm the Lord. And we set a standard for ourselves that no one can live. No one can live that standard. What complicates it is we grow up in families that don't give us permission to make mistakes. We grow up in families that judge us for being human beings. And so throughout the course of our lives, even from childhood, we have learned how to protect ourselves, how to create a shield over us. But the gospel is to to destroy every barrier that keeps us from our true self. Jesus Christ is Lord. When you grasp the gospel, you're not ashamed anymore because you don't have it all together. When you grasp the gospel, the gospel says you are frail, you are weak, you are broken, and I still love you with an everlasting love. But the reality is so much of our identity is rooted in what people say about us. If they say good about us, we're happy. If they say bad about us, we're crushed. And so the question is, where is your identity found? Where is your identity? And unless we root it in our identity in the love of God, we will rise or fall on the words of people. Henry Nouwen says it this way. He says, at issue here is the question, to whom do I belong? God or to the world? Many of my daily preoccupations suggest that I belong more to the world than to God. A little criticism makes me angry, and a little rejection makes me depressed. A little praise raises my spirits, and a little success excites me. It takes very little to raise me up or thrust me down. Often I am like a small boat on the ocean, completely at the mercy of its waves. All the time and energy I spend in keeping some kind of balance and preventing myself from being tipped over and drowning shows that my life is mostly a struggle of survival, not a holy struggle, but an anxious struggle resulting from the mistaken idea that it is the world that defines me. Until we root our identity in the love of God, we will rise or fall on the words of others. And so the core of this issue, of this, this, this issue is not even about correction anymore. At the core of the issue is where do you find your identity? Because once you find your identity in the love of God, that begins to frame the way you receive correction. If you don't know who you are and a word of correction comes, it crushes you. And this is why we desperately need to grasp the gospel. Good news, God loves you, not as you should be, but as you already are. Loves you with an everlasting love. Despite your pain, your, fra- your frailty, your brokenness, your mistake, he loves you just as you are. And the sooner we can all embrace our humanity, the better we all are. And so what does this mean to live wisely in this area now? If we grab the gospel and, and, it, and it takes resident in our lives and we realize my identity is not based on the good that people say about me or the bad that people say about me, My identity is based on solely the love of Jesus and Jesus alone. What does this mean as we give and receive correction? Now, the thrust of this is receiving correction, but I want to just add a couple of words here on giving correction. Because until we can get that, we're going to have a hard time receiving it as, as well. And so let me just say a couple of words about giving correction, then I'll talk about receiving correction, and then we'll close our time together. 
First, for, for those of us giving correction. The reality is we can't live our lives avoiding hard conversations as much as we want to, as much as we are tempted to. Sooner or later, we have to have hard conversations with people. Sometimes you observe something, a behavior, a decision, you observe it, and you know God's saying, you have to say something. Sooner or later, you got to say something. And so, uh, so giving correction, we can't avoid it. I, uh, Eugene Peterson says this, Christian churches are not, as a rule, model communities of good behavior. They are, rather, places where human misbehavior is brought out in the open, faced, and dealt with. What makes the church a church is not, not everyone is, like, not sinning. We won't have a church. We, all, we, we are all broken and simple, but what makes the church the church is that it's a place where human misbehavior is brought in the open, faced, and dealt with. And so this is hard. This, to, to have conversations where you're offering words of correction, suggestion to someone, depending on the intensity of the situation, can be very difficult. And, and I need to say that if you're always bringing correction to people and, you're, and you actually enjoy giving correction to people, you have the gift of criticism. <laughs> and that's not a Holy Spirit gift. That's not a gift of the Spirit. If you're like, I cannot wait to just say, wait, 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 let's, let's back up a bit. If you find joy and life, I, feel, I just feel great about this here. That's the gift of criticism which is not the gift of the Spirit. And so before we offer words, Jesus says, you see a speck in your brother's eye? Make sure to take that big log out of your own first. And, and literally, get that two by four out of your eye. Ah! And then start looking at the speck in your brother's eye. And so before we correct, we need to self-examine. Okay, let's, let's do some self-examination before we start talking about correcting of other people. Because it's hard. I've lost, I'm a pastor. This is my job. Sheep go astray. I got to call people back. I got to, this is, I've lost sleep over this. Having to speak hard words to people or, or, or words of correction. And this is not just me as a pastor. As friends, we've had to do it. As parents, we have to do it. As supervisors, we have to do it. The reality is, as human beings, we have to do it. And so uh, the, the reality is it's, it, it's not an easy thing. And if it's always easy, uh, we need to do some self-examination. Jesus, uh, Paul says, speak the truth in love. And that doesn't mean you're always going to say nice things. To speak the truth in love doesn't mean you're always nice. It means whatever truth you speak is coming from a place of love. Because you can say something that doesn't sound nice, but is coming from a genuine place of love and compassion and concern. That's what Paul is talking about. We need new language if we're going to correct people. Which is why the fall, this fall we have the Emotionally Healthy leader, uh, Relationships course. Where we're learning new language of how to be a community together. And how we can take what we're learning into our workplaces and into our homes. We have language like being puzzled and how do we complain the right way and how do we address difficult situations and so we need new language and so when the fall comes please everyone all of us sign up for it as soon as we can and so we need those things for giving correction 
I just wanted to just throw that out as some bonus material for you. But I want to just focus now on just receiving correction. And then we'll close our time together. And there are four things that come to mind. There are four, you know, what does it look like to, to wisely receive correction? Whether in your workplace, in your home, in a marriage, in a dating relationship, whatever. What does it look like to receive correction wisely? Let me say four things. Number one is this. Consider the point regardless of the person. Consider the point regardless of the person. I've heard it said that there are three types of people. The first person is the person who refuses to receive correction from anyone. Those are, in the Bible, when you see scoffers, mockers, those, that's that kind of person who refuses to change their ways or receive correction. That's the first kind of person. The second kind of person is a person who receives correction, but it better be from someone that they approve it of. I'll receive it from you, but you better not say nothing to me over there. So so we have a list of who is pre-approved to offer correction and who has been denied, uh, you know, approval to receive, to give correction. And so that's the second kind of person. We're making progress. We're making progress. The wise person, the truly wise person in the book of Proverbs is someone who is consistently aware that truth comes many times from sources that we don't like. And so as we're thinking about wisely receiving correction, many of us, we, we, we have already said, God can only speak to me through this kind of person and in this kind of way. You can't put God in a box like that. God will speak however God wants to speak. And, so, and sometimes God speaks to us through people that we were not necessarily anticipating. And so really at the core is an open heart, a posture of listening to God. And so consider the point regardless of the person. Secondly is this, confess your blind spots. When corrected, confess your blind spots. There's a, a, a Desert Father quote that I, I come back to over and over again. And, and hear the words here of this, of, this, of this quote of, we all have blind spots. And this is what he says. One day when he was sitting in front of the church, the brethren were consulting him about their thoughts. One of the old men who saw it became prey to jealousy and said to him, John, your vessel is full of poison. So this is one Desert Father speaking to another Desert Father. Your, your vessel is full of poison. Abba John said to him, that is very true, Abba. And you have said that when you only see the outside. But if you were able to see the inside too, what would you say then? The person who's receiving correction knows, listen, you made that judgment and you just see the outside. You should see what's happening inside of me. There's a lot more where that came from. But what it does is you can be self-deprecating. You can laugh at yourself. You can not take yourself so seriously because you know, you know the bigger story. You know what's really inside of you. And so I love he says, if you saw the inside, what would you say then? Could you imagine if when we're corrected, my family, we don't do correction well. Somebody, especially if you're not from my family and you're trying to correct us, uh, we're about to fight. Uh, and so... Um, but could you imagine if you were corrected, even criticized, someone said something, an observation? Could you imagine saying something to the effect of, thank you for that observation? 
I know I have a lot of blind spots. What else would you like to say? Could you imagine yourself doing that? If you can, you have rooted yourself in the love of God. Because you can hear some hard things and realize my identity is not in that. Nor is it in praise. And so we draw the person out. And at that point, we evaluate the validity of their concern. Instead of just shutting it off right there. I'm not hearing nothing. And so we consider our blind spots. Thirdly is, is we, we, we consider the point of the person, regardless of the person, we, we confess our blind spots. Third is we, we courageously pursue correction. Now this is foolishness to the world. Courageously pursue. Usually we wait until something happens and then someone corrects us. What if we were intentional about it? What if we created a community of could you imagine a family, a workplace, that we went around to each other saying, listen, is there anything I could do to be a better friend? Is there anything I can do to be a better parent? Is there anything I can do to be a better child? Is there anything I, do, I can do to be a better boyfriend or girlfriend? Anything I can do to be a better super... Imagine if we walked around that way pursuing correction. Most of you are like, no, we're not going to... Why would we do that? Why would we do that? But could you imagine pursuing correction? The proverb says that how the wise love knowledge. They, they grasp because they know I have so many blind spots that I can think I'm going in the right direction. There is a way that seems right to a person, but in the end leads to death. I have so many blind spots. Courageously pursue correction. And finally, let me offer that we contemplatively listen for God's direction. Whenever someone offers a word of correction, instruction, a suggestion, advice, the question is, Lord, what, what might you be saying? And so as Christians, we are to be always contemplating what might God be saying through good words and through challenging words that we've received. But here's the question, what's the area for you this week? Where is God calling you to focus this week? Now, let's not do all. Let's not overwhelm ourselves. But what's one area that you sense God saying, I really need to grow in this area? I need to, when, at work, I need to consider the points instead of the, just the person, you know? I need to confess. Where is the area for you? And I want to close our time with that. That God has uh, wisdom for us. But it's the wisdom that can come only when we're open and humble and teachable. And God wants us to live a life that flourishes, contemplatively listening for his direction. Let me invite you to close your eyes. Invite the worship team to come forward. How might the Holy Spirit today be correcting you? What is God saying to you this moment? An adjustment you need to make in your life a decision that you need to rethink, a direction that you know God did not call you to, and he's trying to reposition you. Where is the Holy Spirit speaking to you today? I want to give us a couple of moments, and then we're going to pray a prayer of confession on the screen, and then we'll, we'll sing and close our time together. But let's, let's just pause for a moment.
Amen. Let's all stand. There's this prayer of confession that I want to invite us. We did it last week, and I want to uh, pray this prayer of confession together. And when we pray it together, we're essentially saying we're all in the same boat. We all have areas to grow. We all need the grace of God. We are all broken, frail, weak people. But God, through God, we can uh, grow into wisdom and maturity. Let's, let's pray this prayer of confession together. Almighty God, search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Help me to receive correction that I may walk in wisdom and bring glory to your son, Jesus. Amen. Let's all sing together. Amen. Let's have the prayer team come to my left. We have the Lord's table to my, le- uh, to my right. Risen Jesus is here in this room, and he calls us back to himself. Repentance is us saying yes to God's correction. Repentance is us going this way. God's grace comes. God's mercy comes. And that mercy, it is the grace of God that leads to repentance. And we begin to correct and go this way. So for some of you, maybe this past week, you've gone this way. God, by the Spirit, is calling you back this way. Maybe for the past month, for the past year, for a decade or so, you're sensing God calling you, correcting your path, as it were, back to Him. And Jesus loves you with an everlasting love. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your failings. He knows your frailty. He knows your brokenness. And He says, Come. Come, 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 come. I got grace, love, compassion, forgiveness. Just come. And one of the ways we come is by receiving prayer. We have our prayer team here. And maybe you've gone down a road and you sense the Spirit correcting that. As some of the GPS would say, they would, they would say, recalculating. You're going down the wrong way, recalculating. And the Spirit of God is here to recalculate turn you in the direction that he's calling you to. And so if you sense God's correction, calling you back to himself, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian, we have our prayer team here. And for those of you that want to receive prayer, really at the core of correction, it is, it's not how did someone say it or how did someone speak it to me. The issue is, where are you rooting your identity? Is your identity in the words of people? Or is your identity is in the word that God speaks over you? He says, you are my beloved. You are my child. Where is our identity? So much of our shame and anger and fear of vulnerability comes because we have not rooted our identity in God. But today we can. We can begin that journey. And so whether you're doing that for the first time or you said, I need to come back to it again to receive prayer, you can come up for some prayer. And to my right, we have the the Lord's table where we take bread and we dip into a cup. And we're reminded this is not something that we do in a perfunctory kind of a way. Oh, we take communion here. When we come to the table, we're asking God, God, 
It's a table of brokenness. It's the table of vulnerability. It's a table of weakness. Jesus Christ becoming weak. Jesus Christ becoming broken. Jesus Christ becoming vulnerable. When we take bread and dip it in the cup, we say, Lord, may your life permeate mine as I take this bread and dip it. May it permeate me so that I may live a life of vulnerability. You are what you eat. May I live a life of vulnerability. May I live a life of brokenness. May I live a life of weakness. And so you can come and take the bread and the cup as well. But as we close, I want to invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. If you're new to new life, we close every gathering like this. This is a sign of receiving. You cannot give what you have not received. And we close this way to remind you that God's love, His compassion, His mercy is for you. God is for you. This is just a way, our way of receiving it. So with your hands and your hearts in the posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God. May the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you. May he fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing that your identity is in the love of Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. And may that identity give you the grace to receive correction as the Spirit uh, comes to you. May you in turn offer correction that leads to life. So I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the wise name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Grace and peace, everyone.